Academy Sports and Outdoors wants to thank teachers for everything you do. That's why they're giving you 10% off your entire purchase from July 31st to September 5th, just in time for back to school. So swing by your local Academy store or save online at academy.com on all the top brands like Nike, Adidas, and Freely. Don't wait. Start enjoying your special thanks and savings today. Teachers and school staff, please bring your school ID to receive your discount at checkout. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Late Summer Tactics for Sheepset. I'm going to be talking to Captain Brad Smith of Gunny Bee Outdoors, and he operates everywhere from the Pamlico area down to Sneeze Ferry. But our sheepset conversation will be mostly focused around Swansboro, maybe a little more head tonight. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. And Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest efforts, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. In this pursuit, I am joined every week of my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, are you ready to talk about some sheep sets? Gary, I'm ready, man. I'm excited. I know much like a lot of fishing we talk about, I know very little about sheep set fishing. So I'm pretty excited to uh, to dive in and learn. So it's going to be good. It is. It's a more popular species with the very small flounder window. People are looking for other species. And sheep set has been the species of choice for many a struggling flounder angler looking for more fish to catch and keep other than September. Yeah. I'm excited. If you, if you, if you drink a beer and wait for them or smoke a cigarette or what do you do? Like waiting for the sheep's head bite versus the, versus the flounder bite. So no, you gotta be hands you know. on, man. Oh, no, no, no sitting and waiting. No. Well, we'll let Brad, we'll let what? Captain Brad Smith tell us his thoughts. But I, my guess is, He's going to tell you you got to be attentive. All right. Well, maybe I'm not going to like this kind of fishing. I like to sit back and hang out. But anyway, I uh, just wanted real quick, Gary, while we're talking about getting into it, we'll talk about our sponsors. we got Marine Warehouse Center sponsoring the show today. we got Academy Sports sponsoring. I get a quick message from Marine Warehouse Center. We'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. All right. There you go, man. Good, good Sales, news. service, good parts, man. They're our guys, I hope. We have been doing a good job of branding Marine Warehouse Center as your connection from the fishing and boating community. Man, they're solid. They want your business and they know they got to earn it. Yeah, man, they're good people and they got a great bunch of tackle stuff in there now. I saw all kinds of fishing poles, coolers, all that fun stuff. So make sure you go check them out. Uh, if you're like me and you're boatless, but you still need tackle, <laughs> they hook you up. So really appreciate those guys. And Gary uh, Emmett, 
as we say, he's a resourceful guy. He's always about this community, but he's been doing a little traveling, you know, pulling some stuff from different cultures to bring into his business and all that kind of stuff. And so people have been seeing him out and, uh, and they've been sending us some pictures. So this next place in this segment that we've been doing called where in the world is Emmett? I'm going to, I'm going to give you some hints about the place that he is at. Where yes. in the world is Emmett? Where in the world is he? the cop follow. I'm in. All right. So the place he is at, even though it shares the name of the person. So the person, <laughs> the name of the place is the last name of the person who gets credit for this, but they did not, but he did not design it. Two other people on his team designed it. So that's your first hint. It's a little complicated, but you're a smart guy. You're a professor. You can figure it out. And then also another hint is that Adolf Hitler ordered that this thing be torn down, destroyed. Uh, it, I okay, am. I give you another one. It's the yeah. I'll take another. It's the cousin of the Statue of Liberty, kind of. Eiffel Tower. Dude, you nailed it. You nailed it. I'm, I'm proud of you. You nailed it. Here we go. Here we go. Here's Emmett hanging out at the Eiffel Tower. So, uh, good job, man. I didn't get the All cousin right. thing, but I'm not a historian either. So, good job. Uh, yeah, you know, I got nothing. I had nothing on the cousin, but the you know, all I need is three. Apparently, give me three clues. <laughs> I'm not a one clue or even a two clue guy. Don't worry. The blog I have pulled up has twelve. So you, we're gonna win all night. <laughs> all right. I like oh. my chances. Oh, man. Well, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that picture of Emmett. And uh, I'll show you another picture that I know you're going to enjoy, which is the photo of the week. And this is Regina Simmons of Kelly, North Carolina, with a 21-inch drum, black drum, caught on a piece of shrimp while fishing in the Riceville Beach Creek. So, yeah, 21 inches. That's a widescreen camera. What do you think, Gary? You think it's 21 inches? This is our new thing, by the way, if you send in a picture. we are questioning. <laughs> Um, I'm going to get, I'm going to let that go at 21. It's a little bit of an angle to the fish. It's a little bit of angle to the camera. I'm going to, I'm not going to question her. Like I've questioned some previous and, uh, yeah, man, black drum, sheep said often caught concurrently. Good for her. That's a good catch. Good smile. Yeah, it's a good catch, man. It's good. And the, she probably listens to our uh, membership program. She probably listens to the, the inshore fishing reports. I'm sure. All right, I'll bite on that lead on that setup. That was very s subtle. But what Billy's talking about is the weekly inshore fishing reports that Fisherman's Post now offers in video audily, audio delivery behind a paid wall. So if you go to fishermanspost.com, click on member content, you can access a new fishing report about an hour long. We talk to 11 captains from up and down the North Carolina coast, each for about four to seven minutes. And you get weekly fishing reports inshore and nearshore, again, behind a paid wall, fishermanspost.com slash members for more information. It's been a fun project. Yeah, man, it's been, it has been a really fun project. I was actually looking for a text where one of our members uh, texts me and saying how awesome it was so I could just brag about the project a little bit more, but I didn't find it. I'll find it, <laughs> I'll find it next time. All right. Next time. The, yeah, the easiest way if you're watching the podcast or listening to it is just uh, dip down into the show notes or our description and you can click the link and you can find out some more information. So uh, it's All been right. a lot of fun, man. A lot of, a lot of knowledge in those, in those episodes. So it's good. Well, right now I'm going to have an inshore conversation with Captain Brad Smith, Billy. 
Coming back to you in a few minutes. Coming back to you at the conclusion of my talk with Brad for Billy's Best Takeaway. Again, that's Billy's Best Takeaway. All right. We'll see you in a few. All right. Well, now it is my pleasure to welcome to the show Captain Brad Smith of Gunny Bee Outdoors. Again, operating everywhere from the Pamlico area down the Sneeze Ferry. Welcome to the show. Looking forward to talking Sheepshead with you, Brad. Yeah. Thanks for having me aboard, Gary and Billy. Look forward to doing this. Well, before we do this, as tradition goes, you got to get through two questions. You tell me you're ready for question number one. I'll give you question number one. Let's do it. Question number one, Captain Brad Smith, why should we listen to anything you have to say about a sheep's head? Why? Oh man, sheephead probably is what one of the fish that started my passion for inshore fishing um, growing up as a kid. Um, down in South Carolina, fishing rock jetties down there for, for them, um, getting stationed up here in North Carolina. Um, it took a few tours um, between Iraq and Afghanistan before I, I, I realized what North Carolina had to offer on fishing. Um, so kind of picked up doing that back here in 2006, seven time frame, and then just kind of took off from there. Uh, we make yearly trips to Louisiana solely to sheephead fish. And it's it's a night and day difference. When you go down there and catch sheephead and hey, the minimum size we're keeping today is 18 inches and still bring home 150 fish in a day, it's it's fun. Well, we're not gonna let you talk too much about Louisiana. We're gonna keep you focused <laughs> on North Carolina. Yep. That is certainly an acceptable answer to question number one. You tell me you're ready for question two. As tradition goes, it's a non-fishing related question. I'll give you question number two. Oh, well, Gary, I suck at trivia, but uh, we'll see what we got. All right. So Gunny B, I'm guessing you know a thing or two about a gunnery sergeant. Is that correct? Maybe. The most. What's your most famous gunnery sergeant from the movies? Oh, that would be Mr. Uh, was it Robert Lee Emery? Is it Robert? Yeah. Ronald. Well, I'm not asking you about him. Are, I thought, but Mr. Emery. I thought you were going to say Hartman from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> so your questions have to do with Gunnery Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket. I okay. need you to finish these two quotes. And I actually had to work to find a couple of quotes appropriate for the podcast. Oh, goodness. Well, let's see yeah. what you do. All right. Here's the first one. I want that head. So sanitary and squared away that blank herself would be proud to go in and take a dump. Been the oh, see, blank this is where herself. I uh, the Mary, right? Yeah, the Virgin Mary. You got it. Yeah, the Virgin Mary. <laughs> All right. Quote number two: There will be no racial bigotry here. Here you are all blank. Hmm. That one I don't remember. Yeah, that was the harder one. Again, I had to work because I couldn't use inappropriate language. And apparently Gunnery Sergeant Hartman really likes that inappropriate language. There will be no racial bigotry here. Here you are all equally useless. All right. That that was probably the best 10 minute, minutes in the whole movie. <laughs> what all I right. Remember. Well, let's get to fishing. People want us to get to fishing. I enjoy this, but people want us to get to fishing. I have in my notes, again, we're mostly focused around Swansboro, a little bit of the Moorhead area. 
Um, but we're going to talk about locations first. So someone who's intrigued by sheep's head fishing is going to need some help. I mean, this is probably the main question we get, where to go, where to go, where to go. How can you help people with that question about where to go for sheep's head fishing? Locations is structure. And by structure, we're meaning uh, docks, random poles, uh, oyster beds, bridges, anything that can hold um, barnacles and stuff for these fish to feed on is what we're looking for. Um, you know, I always tell people when you want to go out and scout for some of the best sheephead fishing, go out on low tide and just cruise around whatever area you want to look at and look at the poles, especially on docks. Um, so when you're looking at these docks, you're looking for growth on docks being, you know, the barnacles and stuff like that, that, that grow on the docks, the shellfish that grow on the docks, because that's what these fish are going to be feeding on. And once you find some great areas like that, come back and fish that at a higher tide. Um, at a low tide, those fish will pull, push, pull off into deeper waters. But once that tide comes up, those fish will move back in and start feeding. And majority of the fish that I will catch from August, September, and October are going to be tailing sheephead on docks. So. All right. So I was following until the very end, tailing sheephead on docks. And yep. this again is late summer, more of a late summer focus. So it doesn't matter how deep the water is, they're going to be tailing whether the docks in eight foot of water, six foot of water, or two foot of water. Correct. Uh, we, we put up the multiple docks and it can range depending on where those fish want to feed, um, anywhere from 10 to probably 15 foot. And if those pylons, um, on the edge of the docks have barnacles going all the way up them, uh, those fish are sit there and feed on top of the surface. And just like a redfish, you know, th those fish are sit there and tail while they're feeding on, on those barnacles. It, it's pretty neat to watch really. Um, yeah, I, I'm in. I'm already intrigued by tail and sheep's head. So I want to go back because, again, I think location is very important to people. So I'm going to ask a few more follow-ups. So on the docks, is there anything? I mean, I think we all grasp old growth, barnacles, you know, seeing what you just explained to us as far as dock goes. But what about, like, water depth or proximity to deeper water? Like, at low tide, you want, can the base of the dock be completely dry and just the end in some water like what other criteria makes for an ideal dock i'm thinking more along the lines of water depth or location to anything else in the area more than in addition to the growth so on a um on a dock anywhere along the intercoastal waterway you'll see at low tide um probably anywhere from a two to four foot um, kind of range in some of those docks. And when that tide comes back up, that two to four foot range is going to change from a two to four to maybe a four to six, depending on what kind of tide we got for that day. Um, so that, that will allow those fish to come up and feed. Um, so if we got a lower tide, a lot of times those fish won't actually come in and feed on those certain docks but we'll focus more on deeper structure 
along bridges along the ICW or even some of your channel markers along the ICW um, because your channel markers along the ICW stay pretty, pretty deep um, year round. All right. So some of the docks are longer, you know, some are shorter. If I'm dealing with a longer dock, a dock that again, by the shoreline is dry at low tide and then the tide's coming in and then, I follow you, then the fish are going to move in once there's water there. So do mm -hmm. those fish follow the water to get closer and closer to shore primarily, or do those fish mostly stay out on the end of the dock and don't move too close to shore, even when the water's there? Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't focus too close to the shoreline on, on that one. Um, you know, stay more towards the end of the dock. Uh, you know, a lot of people will put on the end of the dock, um, their chairs and stuff like that. Um, just be cautious around the docks. Uh, we, we have ran into instances where people come out and complain and try to steer away, but you know, like we don't step foot on the dock and do it, do everything we can not to touch their dock, we, we stay off their dock. And it, it, that's a different topic. <laughs> uh, but you know, that de definitely the deeper side of those docks, not the shallower side. Um, now, I will say, too, you know, not only targeting just sheephead, um, but if you do go shallower, you also stand the chance of bumping in uh, some redfish, too. Um, also, while doing this, we do catch uh, black drum and redfish all doing the same thing. So, I mean, they all eat the same baits. All right. I'm going to move on with my follow-ups. All right. Bridges, or even as you said, channel markers that stay in deep water around the tide or deeper water around the tide. You can fish those around the tide. At low tide, you don't lose the ability to target sheepshead on bridges with deep water or on channel markers with deep water around the tide cycle, correct? Yeah, typically at low tide, if, if I already have my fiddler crabs is my kind of beta choice, um, you know, we can focus on channel markers and bridges because they keep that deep water no matter what, where those docks depend on a a rising or an outgoing tide to have water uh, for those fish to move in and feed. Uh, so the lower tides focus more channel markers and uh, bridges around your area. Okay, next question that relates to more bridges than channel markers, but since we're kind of lumped those together, what is too deep of water? So a bridge and X amount of water isn't attractive to you because that's really just too deep. You'd rather have a bridge that gets no deeper than what? I, I don't know if you can really go too deep because those, those fish are still push offshore in the wintertime and, you, you know, you're catching those fish in 50, 60 foot of water. Um, so you're, you're not going to have a too deep of a depth to where you can fish um, for a sheephead. Uh, they can be literally anywhere suspended in the water column all the way to the bottom of uh, feeding on a bridge or a pylon to all the way up to the top of that bridge or pylon too. So I mean, a lot of times those fish just stay in between. It, it, it's a lot to do, in my opinion, with uh, the flow of the current in certain situations, you know, you get certain tides where the lower part of the tide is gonna be heavier than the higher part of the water column and vice versa. So it's just trying to find a happy median on trying to locate where those fish are gonna be feeding and which spot those fish will be feeding for that day okay all right i think this is my last location question 
um, oyster rocks. Now, are we approaching those the same as like docks where you got to have the higher water, you go and scout them out at low tide, but you want to have the higher water and, you know, at least some water around them to hold the fish? Definitely, especially on oyster rocks. When you see the oyster rocks are sitting out of the water at lower tides, um, I've seen a lot of uh, sheephead at high tide sitting just on oyster rocks eating. Um, you know, other times, you know, running flounder gigging trips and stuff, we'll run over an oyster rock at high tide and there'll be 20 sheephead sitting on top of an oyster rock at a high tide. Um, so it's just a matter of locating which oyster rock those fish are wanting to feed on. Okay. So we have in the notes conditions, like location and conditions. I think we've already kind of talked about conditions, I imagine, you know, tide, etc. But anything else to say about location? Or what about your conditions notes? Anything else for us to consider as far as favorable conditions for these locations? So, so for me, the perfect ideal condition that you're going to want to find is a high tide close to being slack, either that, you know, the dead last 30 minutes of the high tide all the way to the last minutes of the outgoing or the beginning of the outgoing tide. So you got like an hour, hour and a half swing right there um, of fishing docks mainly on that one. Um, that way that water's up there, you know, and a no wind situation makes it perfect. Um, that way you can maneuver your boat close to that dock, hit that spot lock or your power poles on a trolling motor and kind of float or drift your baits right into that feeding area for those fish. Okay. So that high tide, does it matter like overcast versus sunny? Um, and then are you saying like, even when there's no water movement and even a dead slack tide, you still get active feeders? Yes. I, I've had active feeders at every tide, uh, but I, I really like that higher end of the tide, especially on the docks. What about overcast versus sunny? Either of that matter? I have not found a difference on either one of those. All right. Well, talk to me about, before we get to bait, talk to me about gear. Talk to me about how you like to, you know, what you like to have in your hand and what you like to tie on the end. So I, I got two different setups that I like to use, me personally. Um, now I got them right here is a, um, it's a seven foot medium heavy rod with a one or a one out hook on there uh, with the little five to seven uh, number split shot all the way to just your regular like brimfish and cork. Um, and I use this scenario a lot, um, especially when we can pull up to a dock and I can stay away and I know fish are going to be on that dock and I can pull off a few, let's say 10 yards and just kind of float a leader back there um, to those fish. And, you know, I, I, I can change that cork to a certain depth that I want to. And typically I'm not going more than probably two, three foot um, using this method and just kind of floating that rig back to them. Um, I will say I do like using a 4,000 size reel, three to 4,000 for fishing sheephead, uh, because when you do hook up, they do like to wrap around structure pretty quick. Um, so that's kind of like uh, one of my light, um, what I like for, uh, what's it, uh, 
shallower style fishing. Um, deeper style fishing, um, probably when I say deeper too, is only six to probably 20, you know, if you go offshore, uh, 50, 60 foot of water. Uh, I told him I'd give him a little shout out. Travis over at 432 uh, Fishing uh, makes these awesome sheephead jigs. Uh, it's kind of like a similar to your bottom sweeping jig. Um, he makes them all the way now um, from a quarter to, I think, two or three ounce, um, especially for offshore uh, fishing. So, and these hook sets do great. You fish crunch, and it is a side hook in the mouth almost every time on those fish. And when they hit it, they hit it hard. Um, so that's kind of the two of the setups that I like to use in different scenarios on those fish. Okay. Now I'm guessing you're using braid. Yes, I, I, I'm using braid. I'm, I'm using a 40-pound braid, uh, but I also have a probably 10 to 20 20 foot of uh, mono or fluoro on top of that. Um, it's just whatever I got on hand. I, I don't see much of a difference between the two. Uh, but if braid hits an oyster or a barnacle, like it's it's going to snap pretty quick. Where at least that mono or fluoro is a little more forgiving um, on holding holding that tight structure. Okay, so 10 to 20 foot of fluoro or mono off of the braid before yep. we even get to the terminal tackle. Yep. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I highly doubt y'all can kind of see it, how it works. Uh, but okay. on this one, you know, I got um, a nice little FG knot coming off my braid to here. Um, and then I got, I think this is 30, 30 pound of mono on this one. And then it's tied straight to the jig head on there. And so mono or fluoro, you haven't seen a big difference. It's not like fluoro decidedly hooks more fish. No, I haven't seen that much of a difference. Our, our water clarities, especially during that late summer, it, it's not going to matter. Okay. All right. Well, what about bait? I mean, what do you got? I'm sure you got your favorites, maybe favorites in different scenarios. What's your thoughts on bait for sheepshead fishing? Bait, I'm a, I'm a guy like... I just go to the fiddler crabs. Um, it, it is one of the easiest baits to go out and catch on your own and not go spend on, you know, not hating on the tackle shops, but you know, not, not, you know, you don't have to go out and spend a, a lot of money at a tackle shop. Uh, if you got the time, any given low tide within two hours of a low tide, on either side of it, just get out on any marsh grass and you're going to find fiddler crabs. And they don't hurt that bad if you catch them. If, if you know how to catch them, uh, you know, that, that might, might, might make you say a word or two, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they definitely don't pinch that hard. Um, what's the ideal size fiddler crab? Uh, I like a fiddler crab about the size of its claw. So, you know, you get two different types of fiddler crabs. You got a male and a female. Um, so your male fiddler crabs is going to have that one big claw. And I really like to look for those uh, fiddler crabs that have that claw that's about the size of the fiddler crab itself. Um, and with, with the uh, fiddler crabs, 
on the claw side, you know, one thing versus the jig versus how you rig them on the cork side um, is a matter of how you hook it. Um, sometimes I want to hook it on the claw side. Sometimes I want to hook it on the non-claw side. Um, and sometimes each fish will be a little bit different. So, you know, when you go out seaped fishing, honestly, I would probably go out with no more or no less than 100 crabs um, on that one. All right. Um, I'm going to sort of unpack something. So male and female filler crabs, you prefer male crabs to female filler crabs. <laughs> I, it, it's not really that much of a difference, but um, that, that's about the size that I kind of base it off of is just that crab size. Um, if I can get a whole bucket full of male crabs, I'm going to do that because the male crabs don't reproduce. The females are the ones that reproduce. So that's what I focus on. And do you like the male crab with the big claw intact versus no big claw on it, broken off, torn off? You want the big claw on? Yep. I, I want the big claw on there. I, I want as much bait on that hook as I can. And then um, talk to me a little bit more about hooking, about specifically the entrance point for the hook and the exit point for the hook and it sounded like you're doing it slightly different on one rig versus the other rig maybe just a little bit more detail so i can picture it okay so on a on a fiddler crab the typical fiddler crab that we'll see here in north carolina and stuff um, they have a little purple back on the back of them so if you take that and go straight through that purple uh backing dead in the middle of them you're going to kill that crab within a matter of seconds um, so a lot of times I'm going on the very edge of that crab and just kind of slightly feeding that hook through that crab. Um, that way that crab is going to stay alive a whole lot longer versus going in through the middle and killing it right off the bat. Um, once you've killed that crab, I feel it puts a lot more scent in the water and you're going to start getting your uh, pinfish, croaker, um, blowfish, whatever else is going to come on and starting eating on that crab versus having your sheephead or potentially black or redfish coming around uh, on those. Um, and it, it really doesn't matter. You, you're just trying to figure out what side that fish is wanting to eat on. So sometimes I'll hook them on the claw side. Sometimes I'll hook them on the non-claw side. If I got multiple clients on the boat, it's going to be kind of a back and forth in figuring out what side that fish is wanting to eat on that given day, or they want to eat in the claw side or the non-claw side. All right. Now, one other question, maybe this is my last question on bait. If I said, Hey man, you're going to go sheep's head fishing this week. I'm not going to let you use filler crabs. You're going to have to use something else. Do you have an idea of what that something else would be? Or is it filler crabs or nothing? <sighs> So, I mean, there, there's fiddler crabs, there's sea urchins, there's uh, oyster rock crabs or oyster crabs, whatever you want to call them, mud crabs. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different species with that. You know, they'll hit uh, shrimp too. Heck, I've even caught them on artificial Z-Man trout tricks with the paddle tails randomly. Um, been a fluke, but, you know, it, it does happen. So it's one of the right time, right scenarios. Everything's perfect. It hits. But for 
for me, I love a fiddler crab. Okay. Hey, as far as technique, cause I'm going to switch over to technique. Um, let's start with dock fishing. You know, tell me about, you know, what, if I'm on your boat, what can I expect? We're, you've got a dock in mind. We're pulling up to it. What happens on your boat next? So we're, we're going to pull up to a dock and depending on the wind and the current scenario, um, I'm either going to power pole or trolling motor anchor spotlight. And if we see fish, we're definitely going to use the cork method uh, because you can drift the, those drift that bait with the uh, current going to that fish. Um, we, we've had instances where we pull up to a dock and we see fish and it's just like pitch a cork, let it float. And as soon as that cork comes close to that fish, he gets off that pylon and comes and destroys that crab. Um, and it, it's an awesome sight to see. It really is when it, when it happens perfectly. <laughs> um, so, you know, definitely that way you can float those baits to that fish. Um, if we pull up and we're fishing, let's say a 10 to 12 foot dock, I'm going to stop probably still 50 ish yards away from that dock. And I'm going to get on my trolling motor and we're going to ease into that dock. Uh, depending on which way the current and the wind's blowing, um, the nose of the boat's going to go that way. That way I'm not spooking fish and we're going to slightly ease in there and we're going to start either pitching corks or pitching my, uh, the jig heads up in there and seeing what happens. Um, typically if I'm fishing in the area for more than five minutes and I don't get a bite, I'm moving. And by moving, it might be two pylons on a dock. You know, you, you can pull up to a dock that's got eight to 10 pylons sitting on the edge of it. And a lot of times those fish won't feed on one pylon, but they'll feed three pylons down. Um, so it's just trying to figure out which, which pylon they want to eat on for that day. All right. So on the cork fishing, that's going to be my first set of questions. So on the cork fishing, how far away from the dock or what's the closest you really like to get to the dock? With, with the cork, I will stay at least at a minimum, probably 10 foot off the dock. That way, yeah. no part of the boat is going to get close. We're not going to spook fish. Uh, and that accounts for like a, a no wind, no tide. Fish can get really spooky and we can just throw it in there and let that cork slowly drift with that current slight current or wind that's still going to be in that area all right so with the drift of the cork is my goal is the path that i'm looking for that cork going as close to the pylon i have in mind like do i want that cork to like even hit the pylon or do i want it to be off a certain bit what's my you, what's my you best that, you, you're gonna want that cork getting as close as that pylon as you can uh you know, these fish that we're targeting, they are, they're feeding on pylons. They are not feeding two foot off of a pylon. Uh, you know, you might catch a fish that's working its way to a pylon um, and luck out. But 9.9 um, .9 out of 10 times, you want to be as close to that structure as possible with any bait that you're pitching to that fish. All right. Now, when I'm drifting it, do I want to flip the bale and let that float suspend when it's right there by the pylon? 
or do you maintain just a natural drift, let the court go by, and then do it again? I mean, I'm wondering if I can freeze the line, stop the line to hold the bait more in the strike zone, or you're, you believe in just a natural drift and just drift again? I, I kind of like the natural drift, um, but if I know fish are in that area and we like, if I come up to a dock and I've seen those fish in that area and I come up past it and I know the fish are still there, we haven't spooked them out. Um, I might let that bait sit it and stop that bell. Um, which is why also I use a three or 4,000 class reel, um, with the drag definitely a little tighter to get them out of that structure. Um, on, on, on some of the back of the docks with that. Okay. So now if I switch my questions to the bottom rig, um, are you getting closer than 10 feet? I mean, and are you just dropping it? Is the goal to drop it straight down or are you allowing for a little bit of a cast with your bottom rig? So, so with the, the jig, I'm pulling up to a dock and we're going to slowly, still, we're still going to slowly ease and we're going to get as close as we can. And we're going to try to ease that thing all the way to the bottom. Once it gets to the bottom, we'll slowly work it up in the water column and figure out where those fish want to eat for that given time. Because, like I said, sometimes those fish will go all the way to the bottom. Sometimes those fish will be all the way in the top. Sometimes they'll suspend. Um, it's just a matter of where they want to eat at that day. And especially on a dock on where the barnacles are going to be at where they want to feed. All right. And you're a firm believer in trolling motor, not running up to a dock, even at idle speed with the big engine. You like being stealth. You want to try, try not to spook. Try not to spook. I am 100% stealth on any fish that you want to go chase. Uh, right. That is a different story, especially after this past weekend. <laughs> well, well, listen, I guess I have the basically the same question now. If we're pulling up to a bridge, I mean, you don't have to go into the same detail, but maybe tell me when you're pulling up to a bridge and I'm on your boat, what happens differently than what you just told me about dock fishing? So, so what I'm doing on a bridge is, um, God's honest truth, I, w I wish they would make every bridge a no wake zone because of this. Um, I really do. But when we're pulling up to a bridge, you know, I'm, I'm going to put my bumpers out on the boat because I'm going to nose in with the current. And I'm still staying stealthy coming into that bridge. All right. So then we're going to come into the bridge and we're going to anchor up around that bridge. And we're going to sit on the bridge pylons. And when I'm working a bridge, it's going to be probably a little bit longer because you got more depth to cover on that bridge. So instead of spending maybe five minutes, maybe I'm spending 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes waiting to see if those fish are going to come in and feed on that. Um, and I'm not waiting a long time. Like if we're sitting in an area, I, I get as a fisherman and a guide, I get very impatient if I'm not catching fish. I want to find the fish. I want, I want people to catch fish. Um, so I will. All right. So we're, we're going to sit on a. We'll look at the the White Oak Bridge. So on the White Oak Bridge, um, there's what one, two, three, four, probably about six, seven, eight pylons on, on, on any given side of the White Oak Bridge, and we can pull on one side and we can work all the pylons 
on one side. If we're not catching no fish on that within 20 minutes, hey, I'm going to leave that side. I'm going to come to the other side, and I'm going to focus on this side until we find fish that want to bite. And typically, once we find fish that are wanting to feed, then we kind of sit and wait a little longer because that's where you're going to start catching more and bigger fish. So do these fish like to hang out together, you know, where you catch one, you can catch several. And the other question is, if you catch one of a certain size or most of the fish you catch there going to be of a similar size or, I mean, I know fishing has exceptions to every rule. I'm guessing, I'm just asking more your opinion of trends. Your, your bigger fish will be by themselves. Uh, we have caught probably seven to almost 10 pound sheephead and they will be, I've seen them floating on a single white PVC pole out in the middle of Bogue Sound all by themselves. Not another fish around, just one fish. Now, if you're looking for, you know, your, your keeper size, like 12 to 15, 16 inch fish, those fish you can catch a lot of at any given time. But if you're wanting to go out and target your one big trophy citation, eight plus pound sheephead, you need to be looking like individual style fishing. You're not going to catch a lot of fish, but you're targeting one fish. And I, th- I, I want to say the studies, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think that one fish that's 20 inches is what, like 10 years old or something like that? I don't know. Um, I'm pretty sure it's about 10 years old, if I remember correctly. Okay. Well, now I have, a, I guess, a question of a different, sort of different direction. Um, okay, so we're finding fish or we're in this area where there's confirmed fish. Again, I'm on your boat. I'm not as an accomplished a sheep's head angler as you. So I'm struggling a little bit. I'm getting bites, but I'm missing hook sets. How do you advise your clients? How do you advise the people on your boat when you when they find that they're missing more bites than they're than they're finding purchase? So that, that's what I'm saying. You'd probably need to bring at least a minimum of a hundred crabs, depending on how long you plan on fishing. Um, not only do sheephead eat these crabs, but sheephead, black drum, pinfish, croakers. Uh, Blowfish, everything will munch and eat on these crabs. It's just a different style bite for a sheephead versus anything else. Um, if you're feeling the bite and the nibbles on a fish, that's not a sheephead. A sheephead is going to hit that and kind of latch and then slowly move away from that pylon, um, which is why, especially for uh, beginners or novice, is why I like low wind and low current situations because you can actually watch your line and you can watch your line start moving away and you know when to set that hook. And so that way you can actually start to feel and learn that bite of that sheephead um, versus it's like, Oh, there's, there's a pinfish or, you know, and start jerking your rod every time. And, you know, you're, you're just playing around with little fish versus, feeling the fish actually hit and slowly kind of pull away. Okay. Well, while you were answering that question, I thought to myself, I like to be methodical and I forgot to ask basically the question about docks, the question about bridges, let's apply it to oyster rock, oyster bed fishing. So now you've got an oyster rock that you want to target. I'm on your boat. 
again, what are you doing different when we're fishing an oyster rock versus a dock or a bridge? So the oyster rocks, I'm going to go more with the float, float cork rig versus, um, you know, my pitch bait with a jig. Um, unless the, fi the fish are really there and telling good, um, you know, Travis made a great uh, quarter-ounce jig head that makes great for pitching baits. Um, so that could work good in those scenarios. But typically for that, that scenario for me is going to be floating a, a, a drifting cork right over the top of that. And when you see that cork move a different direction, set that hook. All right. And in that scenario, again, am I allowed to flip my bale and let my cork hang over top of that oyster rock? Or I'm instructed, let it go. You can always cast and drift again. Or you can always drift again, not cast again. Not, I, I would just kind of open it up and let it drift over that oyster rock. And once it hits that rock, you know, if, if, especially if those fish are on that oyster rock and are wanting to feed, um, they're going to feed quick. Um, so I would open that bell, let it hit that rock, and then kind of close the bell once it gets to that rock. And then once that cork moves a different direction than that current, that's when you know you're going to have that fish on. Right on. Hey, uh, Captain Brad, I believe I'm at the end of your podcast. I believe I'm at the end. So this is when I say anything that you wish you had said earlier that, you know, might have moved on too quick or any last thoughts about sheepshead fishing in general. Um, what do you got for us to close this podcast out? Mm, don't be scared of the pincher. <laughs> you know, I, I've had a, a bunch of youth kids that go out with me and, uh, just to kind of learn and go out and catch fiddler crabs. And I got one kid that will literally pick them up with his feet. Um, so don't be go, don't be scared to go out there and get your own bait sometimes. Um, you know, especially if you got time to do it. Um, if you got kids on the boat, it makes for a great experience for those. Um, and it's really fun. All right. Captain Brad Smith, Gunny B, um, outdoors. Again, operating everywhere from Pamlico down to Sneeze Ferry, depending on the target species, depending on the time of year. Thoroughly enjoyed talking sheep's head fishing with you and already looking forward to our next podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. You got it, Brad. Um, Billy? Hey, Gary, man. Good episode, as always. Your Billy's best takeaway can't say don't be worried about the pincher. He served that up too easy for you. I'm oh, going to take that, that off mean, the table. That was a good one. Let me put my hat back on here. Got to represent the sponsors of the show. Please um, do. Well, it was about the bait, though. It was earlier in the episode when he said, you know, talking about the size of the bait, he wants a fiddler crab that is the size of his claw. I thought that was pretty interesting. I'm like, because, you know, you go out there and those things are running everywhere. So it's like, which one do I take home or whatever? Um, you know, whatever questionable about the male or the female ones, but I get it. One reproduces, one doesn't. Um, but the big claw, bigger, you know, bigger the bait, bigger the fish, baby. So don't be afraid of the claw. <laughs> Either don't way, be afraid of the claw. <laughs> yeah, don't don't be don't be selective when you're trying to scoop them in a bucket. You just go ahead and scoop all of them that you can in a bucket, and then you start picking through that bucket later. Don't don't be selective when you're scooping. Yeah, yeah, just put them in there and sort them out later. See what happens. So yeah, man, great episode and um, learned a lot about sheep's head fishing. And hopefully, people listen to this did too. And if you are listening to it and you did learn a lot, leave us a comment on our YouTube channel. Uh, rate, rate our podcast wherever you can rate it. Uh, give us a thumbs up, all that fun stuff, because that's uh, that's currency, Gary, of content creators. Emotional currency. We need you guys to do that. I, I have. I, it's funny you say that. I was been reflecting, going, man, early on in this journey, 
we seem to get more comments. And lately, we haven't been getting as many comments. I mean, and could be a I good hope thing. <laughs> I want people to comment. No, I want to hear. Come up with something thing. clever. <laughs> Criticism, compliments. Yeah, Gary be likes clever, when people, be funny. Only bash Gary. Gary likes it when that happens. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you do. I you actually do. do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, Marine Warehouse Center, I'm going to give you put on the hat, man, again, those guys, whether it's parts, sales, or service, Marine Warehouse Center, you know, we adore them, man. We, yeah. um, we, we, we are very comfortable with the relationship. And again, I hope we're doing a good job of branding them as your go-to choice. Yeah, absolutely, man. And if you want to join Marine Warehouse Center, if you want to be a, a sponsor of the show, reach out to me. It's Billy at Fishman'sBoast.com. And we can uh, get you a spot there beside a Marine Warehouse. I mean, I guess if you sign up for like 120 episodes, you could be like Marine Warehouse. But, I mean, they're just, dude, they're so supportive of the show. So, really, we appreciate them so much. And uh, Emmett's in Paris hanging out at the Eiffel Tower, uh, which should not be there. It should be gone if Hitler had his way. But he doesn't. So, anyway. All right. Enough of the bad jokes. I'm out of here, Gary. We'll see you in the next episode.